Holy Father, in the Scriptures, Paul asked that prayers and petitions be given on his behalf so that he might speak boldly as he ought to speak. This morning, Father, I agree with that sentiment. And I ask that your Spirit that indwells me will take over me and speak to your people as you would have them hear. That as we expose ourselves to Scriptures, that this is one of the ways you talk to us. I pray for each of us that we have ears to hear and and uh, the right mind to perceive what it is you would say to us and to challenge us and to help us think about who you are and our relationship with you. Because our relationship with you through the Spirit is truly the most important thing in life. And so as we look at that relationship and the quality of it, I pray that you will give us eyes to really look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves honestly. That we can be more honest with ourselves than we often are. And that we would be as honest with ourselves as the Spirit would be honest with us. The Spirit of truth. So I ask, Father, that you, you grant us an amazing encounter with you today. And that none of us miss it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, so today is the third sermon in a series. We've been working on this basic faith of the Holy Spirit. What it is that we believe about the Spirit and who He is. We started in this verse, and I will just remind you to it, remind you of it again, John 16, verse 7, where Jesus took to His disciples and He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. And that the life with the Spirit, that having the Spirit is an advantage that, that God gives us. Um, and so we've been just trying to dig into understanding the Spirit a little bit because this is our advantage. What is this advantage we have? So far we've covered two points. First one, point one, was that the Holy Spirit did not just arrive. That He's eternal, that He's part of the, the what we would call the Godhead, the Trinity, and that He was there really from the beginning, um, has always existed. And so He's not just arrived at Pentecost. And so we just kind of looked at the work He has done throughout history. The second point, point two, is the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a, a an, an intangible force, but that He's an actual person. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh, as I said, there's much I don't know. But 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 one of the things I'm sure of is is that we need to be growing into the spirit he is. That, that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's personal. That the Holy Spirit is where or how we connect with God. It, it, is, it is the Holy Spirit that connects us with God because it's the Spirit that lives in our hearts. We've talked about Jesus in our hearts, but it's really the Spirit that comes into our hearts that connects us with God. And how the Spirit, as a person, reacts to us. That it's a real relationship. That there's give and take, there's communication, there's action and reaction between us and the Spirit. That it's a, as a person, it's a real Spirit. And a real relationship. So like I said, there's much I don't know about the Spirit. There are things that I'm unsure of. There are things I'm growing in. And there are things that I'm absolutely convinced of. And, and the thing that I'm the most absolutely convinced of about the Holy Spirit is point three. When we think about that. And that's today's point. The quality of the connection depends on the quality of the relationship. 
How connected we are with God depends on how good the relationship with the Spirit is because He's the connection. He's the personal connection between us and God. He's the indwelling Spirit. He is He is the Godhead in us, indwelling us, making our bodies the temple. Uh, and so as we come together and you bring whatever part of the Spirit's with you, you bring the Spirit into this place as all these little sanctuaries, these little tabernacles that you are in your body come into this place and we sing together, the Spirit empowers our worship because we're coming together. And so the quality of the connection with God depends on the quality of the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, the Holy Spirit reacts to us. That This is a real relationship that uh, that he speaks to us. We can hear him. We can speak to him. We can hear him. They're just give and take like any relationship. And so what I want us to look at right now is what makes the quality of that relationship change. And, and I want us to understand that there are certain things that we can do and that this that to damage the relationship. There are things that make the relationship better. Spending time with the Spirit, talking to the Spirit, as I encouraged you to do this last week. Read about the Spirit, think on the Spirit, commune with the Spirit. They make them better. But there's also things that we can do that damage that relationship, just like any other relationship, that we can do things to hurt it. Uh, And I want to talk about what I think the reaction we most often see from the Spirit is. That when we do something to damage the relationship, how, how, do, how does the Spirit react when we damage that relationship? Well, I think the number one way He tends to react to when we do things that damage it is He gives us the silent treatment. Now, I don't know if it's that He's being quiet or that we can't hear Him anymore because we're not tuned into him or there's some kind of blockage between him and us, kind of like, you know, the sun and us. And then there come clouds in between it and that blocks the sun or us being able to. Listen. I don't know what it is, but it seems like we lack being able to hear him in some way, whether it's him being quiet. We've withdrawn from him or pushed him away. You know, maybe he's saying to himself, you know, I've told you, I've told you, I've told you, you don't listen. So I'm just going to stop telling you. But that when we damage the relationship, he, we seem to, to not hear him as well. And the problem with that is if that's true, then, we're, then we may lack some of the important things the Spirit gives to us. We may lack comfort. If we're lacking comfort, it's the comforter. We can't hear him. We can't hear his words of comfort, so we may lack comfort. We may lack guidance. It's his job to guide us and show us where to go, and we may lack that. We may lack proper responses the the bible says that the spirit's there to help us know what to say in the right times and sometimes if we don't know what to say maybe it's because we're not hearing the spirit we may lack assurance that the spirit is our seal of salvation and if we're questioning our salvation if we're questioning our assurance maybe it's because we're not hearing him say oh yeah you're a child of god oh yeah you're still a child of god because we've damaged the relationship We may lack conviction of sin, that we are doing something wrong and we just keep doing it and keep doing it and and no proper conviction because one of the jobs of the Spirit is to bring that to us. We may lack understanding of Scripture and teaching because the Spirit is there to to enlighten us, remember, or illuminate the Scriptures to us. And if we find it hard, well, I just read it and read it and can't make sense of it. Well, He's trying to teach us and we may lack that because we can't hear Him or we may lack empowering. 
As I said last week, the Spirit will empower you to do whatever God wants you to do. And if you can't find the resources to do what God wants you to do, it may be because He's being quiet or you can't hear Him and the relationship is damaged. And so if we want more comfort, more guidance, better responses, more assurance, if we want more conviction and better understanding of the Scriptures and more empowering from God, then we have to make sure the relationship with the Spirit is stronger so we're more connected. And that's where his job is and what he comes and does for us. And so I think this is a massively important idea for us to consider how we damage the relationship with the Spirit. And so over the next few weeks, and I'm not sure exactly how many it's going to take us to work through it, there's there's six things in the Scripture we can do to damage our relationship with the Spirit. And we're going to kind of take our time, and, and I'll just be honest with you, I spent most of the week trying to figure out how to approach this. Did I want to do it all in one sermon, you know, and kind of just touch on all six and just mention them? Or did I want to take more time and kind of break them down and really get into them? And because it's our connection with the Spirit and our relationship with the Spirit, which is our relationship with God, I felt like it was just vitally important that we really try to take time to to get into each one of these the best we can, uh, depending on how much time it takes. And so today we're going to only cover one, one of the six things we can do to damage our relationship with the Spirit. And so the first thing that we can do to damage our relationship with the Spirit is we can lie to the Spirit. That people can lie to the Spirit. This comes from Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of tell you the story. It's a story you're probably familiar with. It's two characters, a, a man and a woman named Ananias and Sapphira. And they they come to the church and they actually lie to the church. This is one of the actually this scripture is one of the scriptures we use to kind of as our understanding that the spirit is part of the Trinity because it later on what they do is they sell some land. Right. And then they bring some money to the church and they tell the church that that this is how much we sold the land for and they give it to the church. The problem was it wasn't all the money, like they said. They had kept some back for themselves and didn't give it all, though they said they gave it all, which would have been perfectly fine because they, the, uh, Peter says, you know, this, it was yours to begin with, just, you know. And so that was the lie. And if you know, it appears that God took that pretty seriously because they fall dead on their face right there, you know, and, and the husband, Ananias, comes in. He says, this is it. This is what we sold the land for. Lied. Falls on his face. Men take him out. His wife comes in about three hours later. Says the same thing. Falls on her face. Dead. They come in. Take her out. Pretty uh, tough text to deal with. Now, the actual lie was that they said they sold the property for this and they held some back. But I want us to look at what the heart of the lie is. Because it's the heart of the lie that we need to be concerned about. Because, you know, I don't know any of you guys that are selling a lot of land and giving a lot of money to the church because of the land you sold. So it's not a direct correlation for there. So we need to look at what the heart of the lie is. And the heart of the lie for Ananias and Sapphira is they wanted to seem more pious, more religious, more spiritually mature than they actually were. 
They were like, we're giving it all to God. And everybody, like, man, those are really dedicated Christians and good job. They gave everything they made off that land to the church. How how sacrificial of them. Man, I wish I, if it had been me, I'd have kept some back. You know what other people are saying. They did. And so they were trying to present themselves as more than they actually were. And I think that's the danger we face. That's how we today can lie to the Spirit. Greg Lowry put it this way. Lying to the Holy Spirit means to pretend to be something you are not. To go through the motions of living the Christian life without really meaning it in your heart. By the way, who's in your heart? The Spirit, right? And so he knows that's why you're 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 presenting something in your life that's not in your heart. And the spirits in your heart going, so that's not in here. That's not down here. We're trying to trick and lie to the spirit by our behavior. And he knows the truth. Greg Lowry references Isaiah twenty nine thirteen says the people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips. But they have removed their hearts far from me. The problem, though, we face sometimes when we when we study the Bible, one of the problems I think we sometimes face is we can see that principle, right? We can see that in the scriptures a little bit. But but to bring that biblical lesson into our present circumstances, into the 21st century, you know, like I said, a lot of you might be sitting there, maybe somebody sitting there going, well, I'm not selling any land, you know, and I'm not planning on giving all that money in church, so... Uh, doesn't you know i don't even have any land to sell you know so maybe that just it just doesn't apply to me at all right and so what i want to spend the the rest of the time is i'm going to cover in a minute four ways that we still lie to the spirit today but let's talk just a moment why this is such an egregious sin why 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 does this hurt god so much And just consider the person of the Spirit again. Why this is so important to the Holy Spirit. Why this is the first thing I cover. Well, in John 16, verse 13, when Jesus introduces the Spirit to the disciples, when he talks to them about him coming, what does he call him? When the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That his very nature, the very nature of the spirit is truth, right? And so if we're lying, we are opposing the very nature of the spirit, And so we're supposed to, he's trying to guide us in the truth. And if we're lying to others or lying to ourselves or somehow presenting a falsehood, we're going against his nature. It is quite literally putting oil and water in our heart, (laughs) right? They don't mix. And so that's what's going on in our heart. And it's, it's opposed to his very character. Besides that, like I said, it's the spirit who's in our hearts, right? He knows what's in there. Romans chapter 8 verse 27 says, And he who searches the hearts knows what's in the man, mind of the spirit because the spirit incede, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's a scripture teaching us that, that the spirit's in there working in our heart. He's searching in there. He knows what's all up in there. That, that sometimes I think people are even not sure of their motivations for doing things. 
But the Spirit knows. He knows the absolute truth. And quite honestly, the Spirit knows us better than we know ourselves. And so that's why lying to the Spirit is such an egregious thing. And it does great damage to our relationship with Him. And so let me cover four ways we lie to the Spirit today. Let's make it, let's bring it into the circumstances and the dangers that we face. Number one, when there's no consistency between church life and public life. When there's no consistency between what we do in here and what we do out there. This is what every church member and every church in the country has ever been accused of by non-church people. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And if they really knew us, they would know that they were more right than they actually think they are. That's right. But I also, when I've heard that, I'm like, well, why? You know, and they say, I don't want to go there. And then my question is, why do you think you won't fit in? <laughs> you know, because, okay, yeah, you're right. We are all struggling with this thing. And we invite you to come and struggle with us. Come grow together with us in grace and truth, right? And it's the growing together part that's the church. It's not the per- perfect little club that we sometimes present ourselves at. Hypocrisy is one of the things that Jesus has the hardest times with in the New Testament. He confronts the Pharisees, the religious folks, over and over and over and over on their hypocrisy. It starts off in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, when Jesus is starting, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward for your father who is in heaven. He goes on this tirade. Don't pray. You know, be aware about sounding the trumpet when you pray. Be, you know, jingling your purse when you put it in the offering. You know, he he goes on about this idea of really presenting yourself in church in a way that you're not ready to do it at home. In Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus is talking directly to the Pharisees when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and are in all uncleanliness. Your public life and your private life aren't or your public life and your church life aren't matching up. You put on a good front, but we know in your heart there's something afoot. Romans chapter 2 verse 3 says, But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So over and over and over, the Bible tells us to be careful of hypocrisy. That our church life and our public life, there needs to be some consistency between those two. That, and, and I'm not talking perfection, I'm just talking consistency. The problem is, I, I know that this is a struggle that we have. This is part of being in our life. And that's why I invite people when they say, you know, that, that we're full of hypocrites. Yeah, I understand that. But we're trying to do better. Won't you come join us and try to do better too? There's a quote. I thought it was from DC Talk. Uh, because I heard it in one of their songs back when I was a kid. I saw Matthew giving a shout out to his 
90s Christian music this week. So he's a child of the 90s too. But it's really by a man named Brennan Manning. And he says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. A quote has stuck with me for a long time, and I think there's some serious validity to it. The interesting part, this quote is used by BC Talk in their song, and the song is titled, What If I Stumble? What If I Fall? It's a song talking about, well, we are going to mess up, right? And so the question is, is not are we going to mess up and are we going to be able to live a perfect life? Because I think you're as well aware that I am that that's really not going to happen. There are going to be those moments when we stumble and fall. There's going to be those hypocritical moments in our lives. And then that's going to cause damage to the relationship with the spirit. So what should we do? Well, let me ask you this. What do you do any other time you hurt a relationship with somebody else? Do you just act like it didn't happen and go on? If you do, you probably don't have a relationship with them right now. You go to them. I'm sorry. I realized what I did was wrong. You know, I love you. I'm going to try to make up for it. I recognize my error. This is what we do. This is called repentance. And this is what we have to do with the spirit. When we stumble, when we fall, when we say, hey, I realized, you know, I just hurt that relationship with you. And, I, and I'm sorry. And I recognize it. And forgive me. And, and come back. And, you know, let's sit down. I'll buy you some flowers. <laughs> Treat it like a real relationship. Go back to him and say, I messed up. I want to be close to you. I don't want this distance between us. I want to be able to hear you. What you say matters to me. You're important to me, and I realize the mistakes I've made. And so it's not living a life afraid of stumbling or falling. It's living a life of fixing ourselves and repairing relationships when we stumble and fall. So the first way we lie to the Spirit is when there's not consistency between our public, our church life and our public life or our public life and our church life. Number two, another way we lie to the Spirit. When we tout our belief in the Bible but disregard its instructions. When we go around saying, I believe the Bible, I live by the Bible, the Bible's God's word, it's infallible, it's inerrant, this is, this is my word for how I live, and then we don't do what it says. Actually, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, it makes this very, very plain. The one who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That we can't say we know God, we believe in the scriptures and then don't keep them. It's there. (laughs) I told you and you've heard this, one of my favorite sayings since I've been a pastor wow we're going on 16 years now is when people come in they're asking advice and they start out the question i know the bible says but i'm and as soon as i hear that i'm like where do i go from there you know what the bible says but but what (laughs) this is lying to the spirit 
Remember this, when we looked at the inspiration of scriptures, it's the spirit that wrote the Bible. It's the spirit that teaches or enlightens the Bible. It's the spirit that reminds us what is in the Bible when we need it. So when we ignore it, we're ignoring his writings, we're ignoring his instructions, and we're ignoring his remembrance. How do you think he's going to feel about that? I mean, he's going to say, I I wrote it to you, I taught it to you, and now I reminded you of it, and you don't want to do anything about it. All right, I'm quiet. So the Spirit reminds us, but we often disregard it. Again, in Luke's Gospel, the 6th chapter, the 46th verse, this is Luke's rendering of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And this is a fundamental question we must ask. Why would we call Jesus our Lord, our commander, and not do what he says? I want to take a moment and go to another way we disregard the Bible. Sometimes we just straight out disregard it. We do that. I know the Bible says, but. But another way we disregard the Bible is we just sometimes don't consult it. We don't turn to the scriptures for their instructions. We, we, don't, we don't even know what the Bible says about an issue or we don't try to dig into the Bible and find out what it says about an issue. And, and we disregard it without ever hearing what it says just by ignoring it. And so I want to go into an issue and give you a very real example of what I think that looks like in our day. And I'm just going to be up front with you. This could probably be a bit touchy for us today. And I've struggled all week about whether I was going to use this. I even put on the notes. We might go there. We might not go there. I'm not sure. But I do feel like the Spirit has laid this burden on my heart this week. And I would be doing far less I would be lying to him if I ignored it. Let me first say, I am not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone. I'm not trying to point a finger at anyone. This is completely personal. This has been a personal struggle for, well, a while now. And so just give me a moment and an ear, if you would, as we consider what the Bible says. That would be very applicable to today. Because up until this week, I probably didn't consult the scriptures the way I should have for its guidance on particular matters in life. With all that said, the number one question that I have been asked over the last, oh, three or four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, anybody want to guess? Should we wear masks? Are we going to have to wear masks? The number one discussion among the pastor group, my pastor friends that I meet with every week and and pray with over the last three months, or however long it's been, you want to guess what they've been, we've been spending more time talking about? Are you going to require masks or aren't you going to require masks? And how are you going to require masks? And masks, 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 masks. I've had masks till I'm about tired of masks. And up until this week, I don't think I really went to the scriptures to try to figure out what the right Christian thing to do about masks is. And so this is what I believe the Bible would have us think. In John chapter 13, right before Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to the disciples, on that night when he sits down, he gets a bucket of water and he sits down and he washes the disciples' feet. 
He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, should you also, should you not also wash one another's feet? Verse 17 says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I believe, and like I said, this is another jump trying to make, because we don't do a lot of foot washing in our society today. I, I can't tell you, well, I actually can tell you the last time I had my feet washed. When I did it myself in the shower last night. But no one else has ever done it for me in my entire life. And so we hear this example in scripture, but how does that apply to 21st century America or wherever we live right now? And it is my deep conviction that wearing masks may be one of the best equivalents of washing feet in the modern era. Because here's the premise of mask wearing. You don't wear a mask for you. The premise behind a mask is all about the other person. It's all about everyone else. And it requires us to not think of ourselves. Now, I know, just just imagine, I've heard, I don't like it. I don't think it's needed. I don't know that it helps. I don't care if I get it. I don't want to be perceived as afraid or unfaithful. I don't, I find it annoying or whatever I behind it you want to put there for not wearing them. But the idea of a mask is it's all about the other person. And you got to be humble and you got to be self-sacrificing and you got to be thinking of others and you got to go out of your way and it's just a pain and I hate them. But I can't see where I can stand in public and say, I follow and worship a foot washer and I can't do this. My Lord is a foot washer. And this is about everybody else. And and like I said, please hear me. I know there's people here with masks and people without masks and people of you are wearing them because we ask you to. And I appreciate that. This is about me. And my own public idea. But this is how I think when we come to issues in life, we have to look at the scriptures and do our best to find what the scripture says and do our best to try to apply them to our lives. Because if we don't go to the scriptures and I am one who stands here week after week saying, I want to live my life by scripture and I know I don't do it well enough. And I don't want, I want to push myself to think about it. There's other verses that might be applicable to today too. Things like, Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Those would be some good principles for us to live by in these days too. The Bible is chock full of things that we could really bring and use in our lives and not just read it like some religious thing, but actually apply it to our lives. Because if we don't, we're touting our belief in the Bible without actually regarding its instructions. And that's just how real I see it. And like I said... I hope you understand that is just a personal thing. And I've been slack in it. I've been lax in it. And, and, and here's just one last thing since I've already got my foot, one foot in my mouth. I might as well get the second one up there too. I understand. I've, I've heard this statement too. If people don't like it, if they're uncomfortable, they can stay home. 
And I have fully encouraged people in this church to look out for themselves. Do what's best for you. With our blessing, with our support, if you don't feel comfortable, you do need to stay home. But here's the thing. As I was sitting here this morning watching people walk in, if I put this thing on and more of my family feels willing to come together, it's not that I don't, it's not that I want them to stay home. I'm encouraging them to if they need to, but my preference would be to be able to see them and wave at them at least. And if that's what it takes to to show them I love them, isn't it really about them and not me? Anyway, some food to thought. Let me go on to point three right quick. One of the other ways we lie to the Spirit. So one is when our public life and our church life don't match. Two is when we say we believe the Bible. We taught our belief, taunt our belief about the Bible, but we don't. We disregard its instructions. Number three is any time we lack love. If you do anything that's not loving or, or, or you lack love in anything, you're lying to the script, lying to the Spirit. Again, the Bible makes this crystal clear for us first john chapter 4 verse 20 if uh, if someone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he does not love for those who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he's not seen and this commandment we have of him from him that the one who loves god should also love his brother just a quick definition, if you want to know what that looks like, let's just turn to scriptures again. First Corinthians chapter 13. What is love? Love is patient. So anytime you lack patience, you're not loving. Love is kind. Anytime you're not being kind or you're being mean, you lack love. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, is not, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Whoops. I may not have been loving this week. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things. That's give the benefit of the doubt to people. Hopes all things, wants the best out of every situation. Anytime we lack those things, we're not loving other people. And we're presenting ourselves. We say we love God and we don't love people. That's lying to the spirit. Fourthly, that we can do the damn fourth lie we can tell to the spirit that damages our relationship anytime we become self-righteous or judgmental. And I think you can see how all that starts to fit together. Now you're not being loving. But but I wanted to give this one a special under, uh, a special kind of idea. And let me say this. Defining sin as sin is not being judgmental. Let, let's get that off the bat that that you the Bible defines it. If we use the dictionary to define sin as sin is defined in the scriptures, that's not being judgmental. That's just using the dictionary. You're not making up definitions. You're just using the dictionary with the definitions. Right. But when we move into ridiculing people because of their sin, when we move into thinking less of them because of their sin, when we move into just putting them down for their sin, that's when we become self-righteous. And judgmental. When we forget our own sin, that's when we become self-righteous and judgmental. And that's not telling the truth. Again, First John. First John's big on liars and lying to the Spirit. Verse one, chapter one, verse ten. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, in this case, instead of us being the liar, we're trying to say that the spirit, the one who brings conviction for our sin, we're saying, well, he's wrong. He don't know what he's talking about. I got no sin. And when we fall into self-righteousness and we condemn or become judgmental of over other people's sin, we're forgetting the own sin in our own lives. And that's not what the Spirit's there to do. He's there to help us get over ours. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And the, probably one of the worst parts about self-righteousness and being judgmental Maybe not lying to the spirit, but lying to ourselves that we deceive ourselves. We think more highly of ourselves than we actually are. We forget from where we've been. We've been and what we've been forgiven of, because the Bible says in the same way you've been forgiven. This is the this is the litmus test we use on how to forgive others and how to treat others the same way God forgave you. And so we need to keep that in mind. And so that just gave me a perfect opportunity to remind you about what we are about or trying to be about at First Baptist Church Clarion. Growing together in grace and truth. Right? None of us are perfect. So we're growing. We're together because we need one another. And I, and I realize that maybe more this morning than I have in a long time. And I'm grateful for you all. And we got some mess to work out at times. And we need each other to be able to work that out and figure it out and think about it. But the together part is essential to the growing part. And we want grace and truth. We want to know the truth of the Bible and offer grace when we fall short of that mark. This is what we're called to do. This is what the Spirit wants to do in our lives to help us grow together in grace and truth. It is the Spirit that connects us together. It's the Spirit that causes our growth. It's the Spirit that teaches us the truth. And it's the Spirit that hopefully gives us grace for each other and for a world that needs it. This is our connection with the Spirit. And I pray that this week you work on your relationship with Him like you never have before. Talk to him, spend time to him and search out your lives. Where have I lied? And if you find some, what do you do? You mean something to me. I care about you. I want to make sure this relationship's good. I'm sorry. I will not do it again. For all of us who have ears, may we hear.